0: you're listening to our Southside baptist church podcast for more audio content please refer to our website this is baptistchurch.com well amen let's pray together our heavenly father we thank you lord that you love us and lord we thank you for the lord i thank you for the energy of silas dear lord that that young happy waving at people filled with the joy that lord just comes from you i thank you for michael who came today and followed in baptism and just to see those arms lifted up in praise and glory to you lord lord whether it's a child or whether it's a grown man there's nothing more refreshing than forgiveness And so, Lord, I pray today that everyone in this room knows what it means to be forgiven by the Father, for all the failures and sin and shortcomings to be covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we thank you. Lord, I ask you to cleanse me, to forgive me. Lord, let me be a tool today in your hand. And, Lord, may may I not get in the way of what the Spirit is already doing in this worship. And Lord, may it all be for your glory and honor. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. 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 I want you to remain standing. And while you're doing that, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of James, the book of James. And yes, it was cold. In fact, that's why I told Silas, I said, Silas, let's get on down in this water and get used to it a little bit. I was down there trying to move some of that warm water in there and circulate it and get it moving a little bit better. But uh, anyway, we're in the book of James, in the book of James, over there past Hebrews. You get over there around chapter 5, and that's where we are, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail. Now let me stop right there and go in and say, you can't sit here and say, well, you know, I'm not rich. Let me tell you, everyone in this sanctuary is rich compared to the world. I remember when Sheila and I were getting ready to go to Africa and they wanted us to understand what it was to live on what the world lives on. And so they talked about world hunger, talked about the third world, talked about how many people are suffering around the world, and then when we got ready for lunch, they had a little small bowl of rice, probably no bigger than that. Salad bar, the desert, the, the dessert bar, the, the normal serving line, all of that was closed, and missionaries walked into a room where they had a cup of rice about like that. 10% of the world lives on less than two dollars a day so everyone in this room here is rich so i want you to think about that now again chapter five now listen you rich people weeping well because of the misery that is coming upon you your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes your gold and silver are corroded their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Let's pray together. Lord again we love you and we praise you. We give you glory. Speak to our hearts and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. A young boy followed a wild turkey into the woods. He found out that turkey had a nest. He robbed that turkey of those eggs. He took those eggs. He hatched them. He then took the those turkeys, those young turkeys, raised them up, sold them for meat, began to sell some of the eggs. His dad, his dad was a con man. His mom was a godly man. His dad was not only a con man, he kind of played around a little bit. In fact, he got in trouble with an underage girl. Beyond that, he actually had two families and this young man and his family had no idea that their dad had another family in another state. This young man grew up in poverty. You may know him. His name is John Rockefeller. He went on to become the richest man in history. I also read of another individual, a woman by the name of Barbara Johnson. Anybody know who Barbara Johnson is? To the African American in the room, Barbara Johnson was the first African American millionaire. I meant no billionaire. She's the first African American female to become a billionaire. Let me tell you how it started. She started BET, BET, Black Entertainment Television. She also is part owner in three NBA teams. She's a billionaire. She said when she was 16 years old, her dad, who was a doctor at VA hospital, got caught up in an affair with a nurse, ran off with the nurse, left her mom, and she and her brother. She said, we had nothing. She said, I remember at 16 years of age, she said, I was back in another part of the house when my brother screamed from the, from the kitchen and said, called her, said, Barbara, get in here. Mom has collapsed. Barbara Johnson, this today billionaire, said she went running in there, 16-year-old, and, and her mom had collapsed. She thought her mom had had a, was in cardiac arrest. She said, we called an ambulance. The ambulance came and refused to pick her up until she had the money and it was about 30 something dollars. Barbara Johnson, 16 year old African American girl whose dad had left her mom for another woman is sitting there weeping in the kitchen looking at her brother saying, what do we do? And about that time her aunt came and her aunt looked at the ambulance people, pulled out the money and said, I'll take care of the bill. This African-American 16-year-old young lady made herself a promise that day. She said, I will never be in that situation again. She went out, she borrowed $15,000, and she started black entertainment television. You know, sometimes money can drive us, right? Bob Smith, you've heard me talk about him, a blind preacher, Bob Smith used to come and do revivals. When Sheila and I were in our first church, we made a couple hundred. Do- we made two hundred dollars a week. We were poor. I mean poor, and uh, we made a couple hundred dollars a week. And when Bob Smith came to do a revival, I remember Bob's love offering was just over. This was about 1982. Bob's love offering was six hundred dollars. Bob sent back hundred dollars to Sheila and I. And he said, this is to cover the coffee. Bob Smith went on to say this to us. You know what he taught us? He taught us a principle that I've never forgotten. He said, listen, you cannot, you cannot outgive God. You know, there's a song we sing. Is your life a channel of blessing? Is the love of God flowing through you? Are you telling the lost of the Savior? Are you ready His service to do? Make me a channel of blessing today. Make me a channel of blessing, I pray. My life possessing, my service blessing, make me a channel of blessing today. Let me ask you something. Is your life a channel of blessing? Let me tell you, listen closely. God's not trying to get something to you. God's trying to get something through you. That's what that word means. You know, you can tell a lot about a person by their checkbook, how they spend their money. You can look at their bank statement and you can tell a lot about a man or a woman, and that's what we're talking about. You know, I love Charles Dickens. And I love the movie and I love the book of Christmas Carol. I've read it probably several times, but all of us know the story of a Christmas Carol. Dickens does a brilliant job of introducing this old, miserly, frugal individual by the name of Ebenezer Scrooge. You almost can see him in your mind. He's consumed with money, counts money, thinks about money. Relationships have long since been abandoned. He lives his life for the dollar. And remember, he has a man, naming, name, uh, a man working for him named Bob Cratchit. And you remember Bob Cratchit is sitting over there in that office, nearly freezing to death, warming his hands literally over the candle as he's trying to work and write in the books. And and, uh, Ebenezer's a, a, a strange figure. You remember that night he leaves his business reluctantly giving Bob Cratchit a half a day off. He goes to his home and when he gets to the home, the door knocker, and we've lived in England and we've even seen those where a lot of those homes would have the figure and a door knocker on the front of that door. And as he came to that door, that knocker came to life and it was his business partner, partner Jacob Marley. And Jacob Marley comes to visit him with a chain of money boxes and treasures that now are latched to his body, and it's as if he's imprisoned by these chains. His narcissistic, selfish, greedy life. And he comes to warn Ebenezer, Scrooge, you're coming to the same place, the same destination If you do not repent tonight and we watch Ebenezer Scrooge change and I wonder sometimes if that's what James is doing here in James chapter 5 if he's not speaking to all of us let me tell you something verses 1 through 6 are to, I believe, non-believers. These are to the rich, affluent people who live their lives for themselves. Verse seven, if you'll notice, he picks up, be patient, then what? Brothers, and he then returns to the believer, the Christian. Now, let me give you some points here today. Number one, judgment is coming. That's what he says. You know, you think about it. You live in this country now. Now, I don't, uh, you know, I didn't grow up this way walk-in closets can you believe how big closets are now you know we didn't have that you know you had just a little small little simple closet with a rack a bar going across it you hung your clothes on it you definitely couldn't walk in it but now we have walk-in closets that we can't walk in right we have garages, double garages, triple garages. Now, people have double garages and another separate garage for the boat or another vehicle. We have, we have garages that we can't park in. And if you notice, there's storage units everywhere now. You notice everywhere you go, there's people, they, they, all these storage facilities, these buildings, now these pods. You think about it. You see, what I'm saying is that if, if you and I are not careful, we allow money and possessions to control our life, and if we're not careful, we hoard it, we hang on to it, right? Look at James chapter 1 again, and I'm trying to skip through because this sermon's too long. He, he says once again, James chapter 5, verse 1, Now listen, you rich people, weep and will because of what? Because of what? The misery that's coming upon you. You know, we th- you know, we think people that have money have everything. You know, oh, don't you? You, you, look at the, you look at the lottery. You ever play the lottery? I'm, I don't mean literally play it. But you ever play as if you won it? And think about what you'd do. Man, if I won the lottery, man, I'd do this. I'd do that. I'd go here. I'd buy this. I'd give this. I'd do that. Let me tell you, if you're not living now, doing those things you probably wouldn't do it if you had a billion dollars either you see the reality is is that we sometimes think money takes away sorrow takes away pain takes away heartache do you know i've had people that are wealthy i had a man one time look at me in a restaurant you know what he said to me him and his wife were separated He got off the phone with her, he looked at me and he said, you know, she's got $170,000 in her checking account. She has over $2 million in her personal savings account. And she said, it's not enough. I had another businessman, you'd know him immediately. Millionaire, riding with him one day, going to a meal to to meet a group of other people. We're riding along and his phone rings, it's his wife. They get into an argument. They talk for a minute. He's not like he's trying to cover up in front of me. Gets off the phone, turns and looks at me and says, he said, my wife said we were better off living in a rental having nothing than we are now. And if I said his name, everyone in this room would know it. The reality is, is that James says money doesn't make you happy, does it? So let's look at what James is saying here. Now, number one, James is just simply saying that, listen, The problem is not with wealth, the problem is hoarding it. John Wesley said this, he said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Isn't that good? Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. You know, some people are like the Dead Sea. Everything flows in them, nothing flows out. That's why the Dead Sea's dead. So what James is saying here, he says in verse 2, Your wealth is rotted, moths have eaten your clothes. You ever notice how your favorite sweater gets a moth eating on it? Your wealth is rotted, moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are Corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you. All of that is indicative of somebody. Your wealth is rotted. Moss eat your clothes. Gold and silver corroded. All of those are indicative of somebody who stashes away. They, they hoard it. They hang on to it. You remember the? Have you ever seen the TV show Hoarders? Wow, how sad. You'll see you'll see finally where the family, extended family, will send a counselor or a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist to go in and try to rescue this person. And when they go into this home, the smell just comes out the door. And and, and they try to walk in. And what do they do? They're walking through a pathway of all kinds of things that have been hoarded and hung onto, even garbage, they can't throw it away. It's a sickness, it's an illness. The danger is, is that you and I store up wealth rather than using it as a means of spread, spreading the kingdom of God. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 19 and 21. Listen to what he said. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on heaven, treasures on earth. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But listen to what he said. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Now listen to what he says. Listen to Jesus. Sermon on the Mount. For where your treasure is, there your heart is. The Amplified Bible says, your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers, there will your heart be also. It's true. You know, you and I, if we're not careful, we live our lives for the stuff we gain. You remember that bumper sticker years ago? The one with the most toys? You know, kind of. I don't know what it was with the one with the most toys. Uh, you know, wins at the end. That's not true at all. That's the world's mentality. You see, what James is saying is there are danger? He goes on to say your gold and your silver are tarnished. David Jeremiah in his book Turning Toward Integrity said this: the gold and silver could have been could have purchased. Listen to this: help and healing for the less fortunate. Instead, they were allowed to corrode. You know, I thought about a life principle. Listen to it. You don't hear anything else, listen to it. You can't take it with you. Right? You can't take it with you. You know, I've always wanted to put a hearse, one of those old-timey hearse, and a U-Haul trailer out in front of the church. And put a sign out there that says, Now you see it. Now you see it. You've never seen it before, but now you've seen it. But let me tell you, in over 40 years of ministry, I've done a lot of funerals, and I can tell you this much. Let me tell you what happens. Even even at the coffin, often rings and necklaces and the utensils that have been put on that person to make them look presentable are being taken away. They can't, you can't, I can't take nothing with me. In fact, let me tell you this much. The only thing I can take with me is what I've given away in the name of God, in the name of Jesus. Sin. Can't take it with you. But you can send it ahead. Right? I remember one time as an EMT. Are you going to be all right, Kanye? you start, you starting to make our guests nervous now. No, I'm teasing. I remember an ambulance service one night getting a call. I went to a call uh, uh, of a car accident. The car was upside down. An African-American gentleman, I'll never forget it. He was a big man trapped upside down. Everybody listen. He drowned in a creek in that much water. I'll never forget it because he had seven $100 bills in his wallet that I had to turn and give to the family. I remember trying to get that man upside down trapped getting him out of that vehicle dead removing his body and then taking it to the morgue we carried it to the morgue a lot of times we get in conversations and they go ahead and start their work later on that night i was called to an affluent man a man who uh, a man of another color a man who was kind of a, a somebody in that community he had money he had a business he had power he had influence And I took that man to another funeral home. Now let me tell you, forgive me here. I want you to listen closely. It did not matter whether they were affluent. It didn't matter black or white. It didn't matter what position they held in the community. It didn't matter what business they had. Listen, forgive me. When their naked butt hit that silver table, they were all treated exactly the same. Made no difference at all. You and I need to understand something. You and I can't take it with us. But we can send it ahead. Jesus said, but your treasures should be in heaven. We're sending it ahead. Why? Matthew 25 said, Jesus said this, when, you, when I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. Hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed. Hey, Lord, when were you like that? When you did it unto the least of these, my brethren. You did it unto me. And Jesus said, come into my kingdom. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We sent it ahead. Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, on his deathbed, and I fact-checked this to make sure, because there's been a lot of stories about Steve Jobs, founder of Apple when he died. His sister said this on his deathbed. She said, Steve looked at each of us he looked at his family. He smiled. He nodded. He looked at all of us. And then she said, then Steve looked over our shoulders. It's as if he was looking through us. And she said, he said, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Then he died. She said, I wonder what my brother was seeing in that moment. Proverbs 5.13 says, There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun, and boy, Solomon knew it well. Listen to this. Riches kept for their owner to his or her herd. Hoarded up wealth becomes evidence at the judgment." Let me say it again. God's not trying to get a blessing to you. He's trying to get a blessing through you. Secondly, it's defrauding. Watch what he goes on to say here. In, in chapter 5, verse 4, listen to this. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields. I wrote down here, I know two doctors who have defrauded a man who cuts grass. This man was negligent in sending a bill. He just trusted them to be of good integrity. They both used that fact that he did not send them a bill to excuse them and to cheat this man of an opportunity to provide for his family. And my respect for both of those, do- both of those doctors went to nothing. You know what I saw them? No more than a thief on the streets of South Jackson stealing a car. Not a dime's worth of difference. On the other side, my daughter, who's a dentist, has had Christians who have robbed her and her family who've never paid their bills. I had a contractor rob me of $11,000 I have a business friend of mine who looked at me even this past week and he said, I've had over $200,000 embezzled, embezzled from my partner in business. You see, that's what money will do to you. And James said, the cries of those defrauded, harvesters, have reached the ears of, of, of who? Of the Lord Almighty. Let me tell you something, when you and I cheat somebody, you know what happens? God hears that cry. In a lot of churches today, man, they have big, church is a big, big, big money-making business. You got staff today, six-figure salaries. You got marble countertops. You got churches with state-of-the-art. They go out there and pick those lazy suckers up who are too lazy to walk to the church. A lot of times they've got golf carts going everywhere picking them up. They bring them in. There's a cup of coffee to greet them at the door. They make them feel as comfortable as they can make them. I had a man one time sit down in this church after watching our ministry to the homeless, and he was from another state, and he began to look at me and tears filled his eyes, and he said, we are paying over $300 per chair in our new building program. He said, what do you think I need to do? I said, why don't you take a folding chair and say, this will suffice. Why don't we take that money and give it to people that need it? Many of the churches around here, they're building programs right now, $25 million. Can you imagine what $25 million could do to the poor, the disenfranchised? Let me tell you what it'd do. One church could remove every homeless person in this state off the streets probably. Why? Because this is what money will do to us. And, and, and James said it here. He said, you defraud people and it reaches the ears. Look at verse four, the latter part of it. It reaches the ears of the Lord Almighty. God hears. And why? Because what does he say? Look at verse five. And we'll close in a moment. Watch what he says. The reason this happens is because people want to live on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Listen, watch what he says. You have fatten yourselves in the day of slaughter. Well, what does that mean? You know what James says? He says, the reason people hoard, the reason people defraud and cheat and steal, the reason people live this kind of life, defrauding, cheating people, hoarding up money, putting it away, stashing it away. He said the reason they do this is because of their self-indulgent, narcissistic life. They do it for themselves. They don't do it for anybody else. And you know what he says here? He says they fatten themselves for the day of slaughter. Well, what does that mean? Anybody, that's, anybody grow up on a farm? If Nancy was here, she'd be raising her hand. Uh, anybody, if you've ever grown up on a farm, a lot of times on a farm, and we did it, a lot of times on a farm, you'd take a cow out of the herd, you'd take a hog out of the herd and you'd and you'd put them in a pen by themselves anybody know what you're doing what are you doing Sean's right you're getting ready to fatten them up okay so I remember we we took a hog and we put that hog in a separate pen and man we begin to pour the food to it I mean we just let that hog eat as much as that hog wanted to eat some people would do that with a cow They'll take, a, they'll take a cow, and they'll fatten that cow out. And you can imagine the other cows. The other cows are looking over there going, man, old Fred over there, look at him. He's got it made. Got his own private pen. Look at him. He eats all the oats he can eat. He's got all the hay he wants. Man, he's just fat that meat Look how good he's doing. I'd walk out and sometimes slop that one hog in that one pen, and... Think to myself, if you only knew. Ow. We'll be eating bacon and ham and as my dad said, we're going to eat everything you got except for the oink. You know, you think about it. You know what James was saying? People that are narcissistic, self-centered, they're like the Dead Sea. Everything God blesses in their life, every good that comes into their life, they don't never think about nobody else. They don't think about God's kingdom. They don't think about the hopeless and hurting. They don't think about broken. They're too busy living the fat life. And God says, you know what James says? You're fattening yourself up for the day of slaughter, for judgment. He's not even talking to save people there. That's why he said, weep and howl. That's why in verse one, he said, weep and howl. You remember Luke 16? You remember the story Jesus told of the, you don't have to turn the, the rich man and Lazarus. You remember? Listen, everybody look this way. Lazarus has a name, a rich man doesn't. You know why? Because the rich man, his, his, he doesn't exist. You say, well, wait a minute. Jesus said a certain rich man. Oh, he was a, he was a certain rich man. He did exist, but in God's realm, in eternity, he doesn't because his name wasn't written in the Lamb's Book of Life. See, he doesn't have an identity because he's not in the Lamb's Book of Life, but Lazarus does. And you know what the Bible says? It says that Lazarus would come up there, and and the rich man, he, he had a portico, he had a porch. And he'd sit out there and entertain his friends, and what the rich would do in that day, they didn't have napkins like we have them, so they'd take bread and they would wipe their hands on the bread, and then they would throw it to the dogs. Well, Lazarus is down there with the stray dogs. Jesus called him a child of Abraham. An An old rich man, he'd wipe his hands, he'd laugh, and him and his friends would throw that food down there to that to that Lazarus, and they kind of joke around about him. The Bible said that the rich man died. And you know what the Bible said? Immediately he was in hell. And the Bible said that in hell, he looked and he could see Lazarus. And he began to plead with God. He began to pray. Hey, he prayed, but it was too late. Too late to pray in hell. But he prayed and he cried out to God and he said, God... He said, uh, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and and quench my thirst. Because see, this man, the Bible said, Jesus said when Lazarus died, it said that, that, that angels picked him up and carried him into heaven. A rich man died, name not written in the Lamb's book of life. And there he is in hell. And he's looking, he's saying, God, just let him dip his finger in water. God says he can't. can't get to you great gulf separates. And you know what the rich man said? Then send him back to tell my brothers. And you know what Jesus said? If they won't believe Moses and the law and the prophets, they won't believe though someone rose from the dead. You know why? Because the rich man hardened his heart against his fellow man. He hardened his heart against God. Let me tell you something about me. It's my little grandson up there baptizing him. You can slap me, do whatever, but I'm very protective of my family. You'll have to kill me to hurt them. Let me tell you about your God, your creator God, your heavenly father. If you're repentant and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he's very protective of his kids. In fact, let me tell you what he also says. He said, you've not given a cup of cold water to one of my kids, I won't repay a hundredfold over. I remember one time Jeffrey and Megan, y'all were traveling back and forth down to Pensacola. Jeffrey was in school, and I think he got a ticket, which is not unusual. And uh, I remember somebody found out about that ticket, and his guitar case was open over here. And a man walked by and paid for that ticket. In fact, he probably paid double what that ticket cost Jeffrey. Jeffrey looked at me afterwards. He said, Dad, I I feel like I can't even accept this. I did break the law. And he said, so I'm guilty. And I said, that man loves you more than he loves the law. He fulfilled the law, paid your penalty, and set you free. Let me close with a story. I read of a rich man that lay dying. His little daughter was there by his bedside. She couldn't understand why her dad, who had been bigger than life to her, was now helpless and he was filled with fear. So the little girl said, Daddy, are you going away? The dad said, yes, dear, I'm going away. And I'm afraid I'll never see you again. The little girl asked, Daddy, have you got a nice house to go to? The rich man was silent for a moment, then he began to cry. And with tears flowing down his cheeks, he said to his little girl, he said, what a fool I have been. I have built a great business here. I have amassed riches, but I have nothing in eternity. You know, um... When I was an EMT, I've told you this story many times over. And you can go ahead and stand. But our ambulance was called to the home of a friend of mine. I've told this story, but I want you to listen to it as if you've never heard it before, because I've never told this part of it. A friend of mine, a girl that I graduated out of high school, I was now in college. I was an EMT working in an ambulance service. And uh, this girl met me at the door screaming. And I told this even last week. She said, my dad was trying to put a gun up on a rack right before hunting season. His hunting season was starting. The shotgun fell and it blew him right here, shot him right here. Put a hole in him like that. We got him loaded into the ambulance. We, I was in the back. I had an Ambu bag ready because I felt like I was going to have to do CPR on him. He's dying I'm watching his life coming out of that hole, that shotgun hole that had blown his spleen away and he was bleeding to death. Didn't matter. I was trying to stop the bleeding. I couldn't. He looked at me and said, don't bother. He said, would you do me a favor? He said, I know I'm dying. Would you do me this favor? He said, my son, my son. He said, I've got daughters. I knew his daughter. He said, my son. I've never told him that I love him. Will you promise me that you'll tell my son that I love him? And I say, yes, sir, I will. He died in that ambulance not long after that. I started compression mouth to mouth because I didn't even have time to do the ambu bag. For an hour and 45 minutes, I did CPR on this man trying to save his life. I, we got him into the we got him into the ER. The doctors, there were staff waiting. We put him, we slid him over that table without missing a beat. They had him on the monitor. The doctor said, "You've got perfect compressions on that heart." He said, he even told the nurses, "said Look at that." So I was soaking wet with sweat, and I wouldn't stop. Somebody said, "Let us take over." No. I did not want to have to tell that son that. And this young college kid was for an hour and 45 minutes. And when the doctor said, I'm getting ready to call it, me and the ER said, No! Can't call it. He's got to live. He's got business he's got to take care of. He can't die. And they kept on, fluids going in him everywhere trying to seal off that wound and CPR over and over and over again. Finally, the doctor did his hand, tapped my shoulder and said, He's gone. Stop. I walked out in that hospital as that family received the news and they all began to cry. Dad, tragic accident, had shot himself, didn't mean to. And I'll never forget walking down that hallway, can still see it. That son, good looking young man, standing down there by himself. He was his head against the wall, weeping. And I came up, I was in uniform, came up, put my, put my hand on his shoulder. He turned, kind of looked at me, and I said, I'm so sorry about your dad. Doctors had already said it, but I said, I want you to know we did all we could do. And then I looked at him and I said, but I got something to tell you that your dad wanted me to tell you. I said, your dad told me to tell you that he loved you. And he was sorry that he had never told you that before. He wanted you to know that he loved you. And that young man just collapsed. Here I am catching him, huddled down, wrapped around him as we just wept and cried. Your dad wanted you to know he loved you. Let me tell you, that man, his name was known all over that city. That man had a nice home, nice vehicles. That man had everything money could buy. That man had position. He had power. Power. He had popularity when he went around in that city. But let me tell you, he had unfinished business. He had lived his life for the wealth and the riches of the world. And he had lived his life and forgot to tell his son he loved him. My friend, let me tell you, there is nothing more important than the kingdom of God in your life. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And every time you invest in broken and hurting people, every time you touch the lives of other people in the name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're storing it up into heaven. And one day you'll get there and the Lord will look at you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But hear me before we pray. First thing, you've got to repent of your sin and give your life to him. That's it. You repent of your sin and you put your faith and trust in Christ. Have you done that? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that we love you and praise you that you love us. Lord for most of us in this room we think well you know I've done some good things and then we begin to think well I could do more. Lord for some of us in this room we've lived our lives for ourselves. Uh, we 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 tend to hoard and hang on for a rainy day that never comes. We t- tend to pack away not willing to give up a jacket we saw people who came here thanksgiving who didn't have clothing didn't have warm clothes who didn't have coats so lord may we just uh, may we begin to re-examine our life and say god i want i don't want the blessing to come to me i want it to come through me god make me sensitive to the single mom who's struggling to make ends meet who may need help with a gas bill or light bill or rent god help me to be uh, mindful of a elderly person as we talked about last week who may be sitting alone eating by herself when you whisper in our heart go pick up her ticket and pay for it god may we be mindful of the college student who's struggling working and trying to go to school may we be mindful enough to say to them listen god put you on my heart and i want to give you this as a gift God, open up our eyes and open up our hearts. Help us, dear Lord, to be channels of blessing. And Lord, use us for the kingdom. And Lord, we pray if there's one here that doesn't know you today, that they can come, give their life to you, and begin to live and serve you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we sing this hymn of invitation, you come.